Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been, and it always will be. Okay, welcome to White Line Fever, episode 76. I'm Steve Mascord, and that's the first time I've ever introduced myself. I've been a disembodied voice for 75 episodes, but I finally introduced myself. And now I'll introduce um, our guest. Uh, it's Matthew Harrison from the great new uh, Aussie rock band, Palace of the King. How are you, Matthew? Very good, Stephen. Thanks for having me. No, no worries, no worries. I just wanted to uh, give you and the listeners a bit of background about how this is the way we used to discover bands. I don't know if anyone does it this way anymore, but I, I went to the Bridge Hotel and saw you open uh, for the Screaming Jets. Um, and, I, you know, I was absolutely blown away, and I hadn't even heard the name of the band. I heard nothing. And these days it's all... We don't discover bands that way much anymore, but I'd imagine that you are finding fans that way because you've been gigging pretty heavily haven't you yeah absolutely i think that was um from the from the time that we started the band um a little over two years ago now we knew uh, i mean our, our our intention from the word go um our plan was always you know we we knew that we wanted to be a blues-based rock and roll band and you know playing that type of music we we never set out to uh have or we never set out with lofty expectations that we were going to have immediate breakaway um, success on commercial radio or anything ridiculous like that. We knew from uh, day one that the way to to break the band and reach new people and um, and earn fans was to get out there and play as many shows as possible, which we've done um, for the last couple of years. So yeah, definitely. I mean, it's um, it's a cool, very organic way of meeting a new audience, and um, obviously, you know the the circumstance that you've just mentioned is is exactly um, the type of thing we're after. We obviously want to just get in as many, in front of as many new people as possible, whether that's through support gigs or on you know, festivals or or whatever it may be, and just do as many of those shows in as many cities as possible and uh, and reach an audience that way, um, which is you know an old old school way of looking at it. And we obviously have you know a bit of a social media presence with you know, all the Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, even to, uh, to date, we're, we're about to drop our first video clip, but today we've even, you know, our online material has all, um, like the videos that we do have on YouTube are live videos. And that's very much the way that we wanted to represent the band, um, from day one. So Southern rock doesn't normally mean South of the Murray, but uh, how did uh, <laughs> how did how did how did a group of uh, are you all from Melbourne? I mean, unfortunately, when you're starting out and you're just doing interviews for the first time, with you've got to go through the whole story. I'm sure it gets quite tiresome. But uh, um, but I mean, how, how does a, a group of uh, uh, people from from Melbourne get together and end up sounding like like you sound? You do sound like you are from South of Mason Dixon, not South of the Murray, you know. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, we'll only take that as a compliment. That's awesome. We, um, I mean, it's it's just that. Um, I mean, we've all previously been in lots of different bands of, uh, you know, obviously varying degrees of success with other bands and lots of different genres and styles and um, and sounds covered across the previous bands that we've been in. Um, and I mean, with this particular band, it was nothing more than just getting together and doing literally whatever the hell we wanted and playing the music that we felt like playing, um, having a, um, you know, quite a free open approach to songwriting and the creative process whereby anyone can um, bring an idea to the table. And because of that, we're quite a large band with six members. That That's a lot of, um, or that's a really large pool of influences and a really large um, array of, ideas and um, perspectives and, and things like that. So we, um, fortunately enough, it, it just seems to be the, the sound that we naturally stumbled across without um, too much of a preconceived um, angle or a path that we wanted to specifically pursue. We just, you know, we've we've collectively grown up on, on blues and old rock and roll and, um and and that style of music and that just seems to be when we strip away the rules and um and do it with as much freedom as we possibly can that that just is what comes natural and what about the live thing i mean that's also 
was that was that always as cohesive and as good as the night I saw it, or is it something that's grown uh, steadily? Yeah, it's definitely grown steadily over the over the couple of years that we've been playing shows together. Which you know, we've obviously done a lot of gigs in that time. Um, it was it was something. I mean, our our early shows especially were more so about um, connecting with one another as much as they were with the songs and learning the songs and learning how to play them really accurately and all that sort of stuff. Um, we again just coming back to the to sort of the the whole freedom aspect and stripping away the rules. We we always wanted to do it with as much freedom as possible, and we almost the initial shows we almost needed to learn to trust one another that when there are other sections in the live set where we branch off into um, you know a more improvised section that's different from night to night, it does require quite a bit of trust between members. Um, you know, it's a, it's like a trust fall. You've got to fall back on your band members and. You've almost got to trust that they'll follow and um, and they'll be with you through the you know through the unknown, which is sort of those improvised and um, and unplanned sections of the set, I guess. Which, um, given the nature of that um, style of performing and improvising and all that sort of stuff, it can go wrong, and that's half the that's half the beauty of doing it and getting it right you do have those nights where it's just amazing and everything clicks um and then there's also the nights where it's really really teetering on the edge of of uh of just blowing up in your face as well so that was um something that we've learned to uh i guess more so than anything we've learned over time to trust one another and have uh and really just cut down on the off nights and and even when we do have a night that's not um you know, firing at 110%, it's still, you know, pretty close to being there. Okay, Matthew, um, I warned you that we'll play a, a song at the end of this little uh, first third of our interview. Um, what would what what's, what Palace of the King uh, song would you like everyone to hear? Uh, let's touch on that southern vibe that you mentioned and go with Black Heart. <laughs>
Okay, welcome back uh, to the program, and uh, thank you for that first interview from a great band called Palace of the King, which our friend Jim Savage is actually, he's all, he hates new music, and he's actually ordered their entire back catalogue in Boston, so it's wonderful. Uh, the interviews to come up are even uh, better. Um, I'm, I'm not going to uh, introduce my next guest. I'm first going to get him to uh, describe our uh, setting. Uh, where are we? What are we doing? <laughs> We're on Baker Street, Steve, uh, near Baker Street Tube, Sherlock Holmes, near East Park, beautiful part of London, early evening, may have had a couple of drinks, very pleasant place to be. <laughs> may have, and you were actually on the first Wildline Fever, do you remember, um, we recorded at Wembley in about 2011. Are we doing Wildline Fever? Yeah, we are, yeah. Oh, I'm glad it's still going, that's a miracle. <laughs> it is, and who'd have thought we'd kick on to such low heights? <laughs> but um, now Andy, uh, uh, most, most of our listeners would recognise you as a former... Uh, rugby league correspondent on the Guardian, and and most of them would. Am I? Is it fair to say most of them would wonder what you've been doing since, or would most of them know? Oh no, I wouldn't think any have got a clue. I, I suspect <laughs> most don't even know I've left. Actually, uh, Aaron Bauer's doing a, a, a very fine job on the Guardian, um, and I'm working for the English Cricket Board around the corner from here at Lords, which is why mm. St John's Wood. So this is a convenient meeting point. So yes, um, I'm out of rugby league actually, and you know, it's, it's a weird feeling. Um, so my idea of getting you on for this middle segment this is the rugby league segment by the way there's plagues I have to give um, we're, on, we're on Twitter WLF podcast uh, we're on uh, Stitcher um, please go to iTunes and look up White Line Fever and leave a comment and we're also on Facebook White Line Fever but the whole reason of getting you on to this segment um, was to ask you about your perceptions of rugby league being somewhat removed um, is that, are you the right person to ask? Well, I certainly am removed, yeah. It's sort of deliberate in a way. I, I don't know, I think probably uh, you can sometimes get a bit too... Certainly as a journo, like you used to talk about this, Steve, that you know, you've got to be professional and you can't be too passionate about the game. And I probably was, still am. You know, I can't help it every time I hook into it. I, you know, it's just a, a major passion. So, yeah, uh, I'm miles out now. It's, it's a weird feeling, as I say, very discombobulating. But, you know, I think being away from it, 
I've said this before, it, it makes you appreciate its qualities. Mm. It makes you realise where it fits, uh, particularly in, in Britain, you know, we're, we're in Baker Street now and you're talking about an, a minimal level of awareness about rugby league, but, but you know, if we were in Lee or Castleford, it matters and... and yeah, being, having that distance helps you realise that really how how important those roots are and just what a bloody great game it is and, and, and a great not, game's not it's more than a game isn't it what is it it's, it's uh, almost a movement isn't it you're part of a movement and it's a horrible feeling actually being on the outside I'm still in contact with some of your roots in Australia but um, <laughs> I was going to ask you about the fact that yourself and like That's people like Neil uh, <laughs> <laughs> You, yourself and uh, people like uh, Neil um, uh, uh, Neil Tunnicliffe no, <laughs> no that, that is that is the wrong link um, no anyway people like yourself are not involved in rugby league in this country anymore and you could easily characterise that as being um, a symptom of newspapers and the newspaper industry or you could characterise it as being a symptom of um, rugby league in, the, in this country um, which is it I think that yeah, so that's absolutely the, the key question, and the, it is not rugby league's problem; it's newspapers' problem or journalism. Yeah, newspapers' problem because they're all struggling for money. They're all operating in different ways, and I, I don't think rugby league now is weaker than it was. Neil Barakoff. <laughs> Hi, Neil. Um, I don't think rugby league now is weaker than it was in the eighties in, in, in any ways. It's incomparably. I was thinking about this last night. I was watching the. No, in fact, I was in the office today watching the highlights of um, of the weekend Super League games and Warrington Catalans with sort of nine thousand on, Witness Hull with five and a half thousand on. There, there would be peaks when they have better, but they are historically good crowds. Rugby league's doing okay in this country, and especially in the Championship this year is great. But it's covered worse than ever in the national press, and that's a that's a symptom of the national press. Not, but isn't everything like as a journalist? I feel the shrinking resor- resources. I almost said resources. <laughs> the shrinking resources of the mainstream media are better used covering things like WikiLeaks and uh, you know and 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 all those major issues in the Middle East. Actually, I think it's kind of like I think it's fine that and even in Australia, mate. You know, like rugby league is not covered the way it used to be covered. In that, um, if uh, for instance, if uh, a Queensland team goes to Melbourne. A Queensland reporter's not going to be there. Um, if uh, the Roosters are in uh, Townsville, uh, it's going to be covered by the local media and a press conference involving the winning team. So, for instance, the Roosters could beat the Cowboys at the moment. It's very unlikely. But if the Roosters beat the Cowboys by 50 points, the Cowboys press conference is still going to go longer. The story that's filed to Fairfax and News Limited is still going to lead on the Cowboys even though they're going to beat by 50. And And... and, and the, the, the collapse of traditional media is definitely harming rugby league supporters. And we can all go, we can all jump up and down about that. But surely, surely the more important issues are our personal freedoms, um, you know, uh, tyrannical governments, etc., etc. You know, really, I'm serious. And this isn't a, I would have said this to you before the uh, three pints of uh, Iron Maiden Trooper Lager have just, not Lager, it's not Lager, it's bitter. Uh, that we've just had, but you know, but surely there, there are more important issues. Well, of course there are, but they're always happening, aren't they? I mean, that, yeah. I, I think, I think that's the trooper talking. I think, you know, I think there's a real issue in terms of uh, being, you know, a, a, a font of knowledge. Fonts are on word, but you know, so, so let's there are more of, fonts than ever if you're involved yeah, in like fonts. Actually. But the but if you think about the the people that we idolised, who were immersed in the game and would go to away games, and so they would have that they would build up that stock of knowledge. Mm. And the problem is that and, and that you know that is a it's only rugby league. We're not talking about tyrannical governments. But at the same time, if if you take your job seriously. Now, what happens is there's a lot of uh, ambient noise out here. I've done this on the podcast before. Basically, if I, if I use the, the cell phone uh, to do, like, pre-match interviews on Triple M and I hold the, micro- the uh, microphone bit up to the coaches, it pops. But when there's a lot of ambient noise, we're better off doing it that way. Sorry, he's just explaining why he turned the phone around and I looked a bit confused, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but but I, I did, do you not think this, Steve, that, that there is... 
you know, I think about this in, in my cricket context. That in the old days, there would be a Lancashire cricket bloke who travelled around the, the country with them, and an Essex cricket bloke who travelled around the country with them, and they would therefore know all about it, and they would record that for posterity. And, you know, it might not be important, but it's been going for 100 years. Mm. And, and equally, you know, the, the fact that rugby league is still covered in the Yorkshire Post, let's say, is crucial. And that, this is what always upset me about the Guardian. It's the Manchester Guardian used to be. And, uh, you know, I can you say, say this shit now. Exactly. Yeah. I can say this now. That, you know, you that, can also swear if you'd like to say fuck or something like that. Well, that's your podcast. I'm, <laughs> I'm a family man. I couldn't possibly. But, but you know, that, that is important. And uh, You're yeah. right, though. You're right. You're right, though. But you're not really contradicting what I said earlier. Because what I'm saying earlier is that traditional media is shrinking to the size of a pea and really the importance of rugby league coverage we love rugby league of course and the, and, 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 and we try you should try and alert the readers and listeners and viewers that their coverage has um, uh, uh, dissipated and it's you know it's the quality has dropped off but in the end it's uh, part of the bigger picture you know <laughs> well, that's a good point well mate yeah no I, th- no, I think yeah, yeah, no, you're right about that. And, and we've got to be careful, haven't we? You, you're obviously, you know, a lot... It, all this new media stuff you, you've embraced and and haven't been quite as embedded in the traditional media as I have, where old-fashioned journals need to earn a living, you know? And we've, I've got to be careful. I'm not... At least I, I, can, I guess I can be freer now because I'm not, I'm not reliant on that anymore. But, yeah, I still, I still think that journalism is a is an important an important social skill an important social value rather and that you know people should, you should it's great that people can just write on blogs and things but there is there is an element by which you know it, i it, if 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 one of your listeners is a plumber and i was to go and I'm say, sure several are i'm hoping several yeah, are. i i say well yeah i'll, I'll go and fix that i can sort that yeah. and and you know i, you, I don't this is, we're going away from a belief, but I, I think you've got to be careful about devaluing your craft. Haven't you? Mm. There, there is a skill in what you and me have done, and I, I think we're we're probably guilty of down talking it more than we do up talking. No, we are, we are, but but again, like I agree with you totally, and I I worry that rugby league fans don't notice what's happened. They don't notice that the coverage is full of in Australia. This is great radio. This is this is going to get us on commercial radio this episode, but yeah, I, I'm worried they don't notice that um, um, uh, the discussion is. They don't worry that things aren't covered that used to be covered, no. and then when things are covered, they're covered in a much more um, um, dispo- uh, you know disposable fashion. The scrutiny's gone. The, yeah, yeah. the level of scrutiny is gone. You know, and that's what I say. But I say that actually, the the, the battle is not going to be won in sport. The battle's going to be won when, in a democratic country, I'm sorry, this is maybe is a trooper speaking, but in a democratic country, a truly tyrannical government comes to power, and they're not held accountable, and that people die or people's human rights are violated, and then perhaps journalism will become a community asset again. It will be, you know, um, we'll elect governments who actually pay for journalism. You know, I, that's that's where I, th- I see it going i do i do i think i think actually journalism was compromised 200 years ago when the first ad was put on a page i, I can't this sort of shit has never been spoken about on white line fever before no well I, and i'd like to say i've got nothing to do with it <laughs> <laughs> i'm just here you know as a as a foil <laughs> but um yeah. but you know as soon as you have commercial uh imperatives then surely journalism is even in a subconscious way it's compromised yeah that's definitely true but you know i think you can overreact to that can't you it's it's not especially in the sporting context you know if if an interview says daily cherry evans was appearing courtesy of fox Mm. i don't think that's the end of the world as we know it you know no it's not which is why what happens is borders in the end of the world as we know it but we get little pointers about the way well, things are going. Bringing it back to where you started, that's an interesting point about rugby league, is that people care. Mm. And what used to annoy me most when I covered rugby league was the abuse you get, obviously, from, you know, a Saints fan who thinks, oh, you're, you're sporting pie eaters, or a Cass fan who thinks, you always hate Cass, because you don't slag off refs enough and things like that. And, then, oh, that's dispiriting. And, you know, you want, you want rugby league fans to love the game and to want Coventry to and do to love you. Well, yeah, that, that's deeply subliminal, but uh, uh, yeah, there's probably a bit of that in all of us, isn't there? Yeah, sure. But, but 
Well, you want well, people you... to respect you. You want people to think that no, you but, give but, a shit. But get off us. What I'm yeah. saying about the game is that <laughs> you want... You, we all want people to love the game, but actually, a sport is healthier if they bloody love their clubs. Yeah. Because that's passion, and that's what yeah, matters, yeah, yeah. and that's what rugby league has got, and that's what will keep it battling on, you know. And that's that's why, although they try very hard, people can't ignore it completely in this country. And obviously, I was going to say this about you in Australia, and your your inter- your viewance is interesting. In England, very much Premier League football devours everything, so rugby league's a victim. In Sydney. NRL is Premier League so that devours everything else so if you're a rugby union supporter in Australia I know it's a bit different because of the class breakdown and it's the posh folks the, um, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean I, I do think that big sports benefit disproportionately <laughs> are we not overrunning I've got a train to catch um, ok we're overrunning well, let's finish our pints um, uh, there's, there's other shit I have to say before I go to the next segment can, can I ask you one question yeah. do you not have Periscope Periscope's all yeah I'm on Periscope I'm on Periscope well, you didn't mention that before you mentioned everything else but not Periscope yeah but but uh, but the stuff I mentioned earlier is stuff that you can kind of monetize, sort of. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not selling out. In a- uh, you know what? You know, like, we've known each other for uh, 30 years, and we've never had any respect for each other's musical taste. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the ultimate honor on White Line Fever. But I'm, I am going to ask you to give difference to the fact that we don't want to hear sort of guys who have their hankies hanging out of their pockets from Manchester. So and then we used to have common ground. I remember thirty years ago we had common ground on music. So so I want you to draw on that, and I want you to introduce the next song. Right. Well, see what I was going to do until you mentioned Hankies in Manchester. They've got a beer in this pub called Fool's Gold. So you yeah. should play Fool's Gold by the Stone Roses, but you won't do that. No, so. I will. I will. Well, if you, you want, can, you can. No, no. But I, I, I'll in in that shared understanding, I'd go. Um, I'm torn Foo Fighters or Black Crows, but I'd say Black Crows, Remedy.
Yeah, hi, this is uh, Clifford Ho from Kings of the Sun, and you're listening to White Lines Fever, and um, there's a road to nowhere out there, and you just got to go out and find it. Woo! Okay, welcome back to the program, and I am here. Well, I'm not going to say where I am. I'm just going to introduce our guest. It's uh, Jesper Binza from DAD, and do you want to tell the listeners where we are? Everybody, we are at Sweden Rock. We're in the south of Sweden, and um, it's... Actually, this is the first day in Scandinavia where you could feel a little bit of summer. Mm. In the calendar, it says summer, but it has been almost autumn mm. up until today. So we're, we're lucky that it's almost livable conditions. And this is about you, not about me, but I last um, did an interview like this face-to-face with you guys, 1989 in Australia. No, I think it was 1989-1990 in Australia when, when the... Yeah, so what do you remember about that trip? Um... <laughs> We had a very, very good time, and I, actually, I remember some uh, some pretty mind blowing things. Normally, I'm uh, more like a goldfish, so I f- tend to forget. But Australia, we f- we we never forgot because we never, you know, got back again. You know, just, mm-hmm. we couldn't really erase memories. So we that was all we. I mean, um, actually, I will not tell you what I remember because it was very um, <laughs> carnal. <laughs> Okay, I'll, 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 jog you, I'll, I'll jog your memory on something else. I remember actually running to you guys at the Ermington Ballroom at an Angels show. Oh, the yeah. Angels, and they are on the bill here this yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they are? They are, they're playing Saturday night. Okay, so... Uh, uh, Doc's dead. It's, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all so right. So it's uh, Dave Gleeson who was in the Screaming Jets. You yeah, might remember yeah, Screaming yeah, Jets. Yeah, yeah, he sings yeah, yeah. for them now. So. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> but you look young, so how can you... How... <laughs> What age were you when you were there? Did I? Did I? Oh, I was four. No, 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 no. no but it's, I, I just said it's not about me. This guy it looks like. <laughs> okay. So, so um, I'm sorry. Would you be aware? Would you be aware that like there is actually a DAD Australian fan club Facebook and everything? Mm, yes, yes. Do you hear from fans in Australia? Yeah. We, By the way, for our listeners who are not in Australia, this is boring and stupid. So yeah. we'll keep the parochialism to the first segment. But uh. okay, uh, <laughs> we'll keep Australia in this segment. What I'm saying is, yes, we. There's a lot of Australians that you know, you know, all the, you know, on Facebook. Come on down, come on down. And actually, we did a tour of uh, the Far East Asia with the sole purpose. Of you know uh, waking up the sleeping bear, mm. uh, the the sleeping kangaroo, <laughs> um, and, and they and, and the kangaroo woke up a little bit, but not enough so that we were actually going to you know have the cheap airfare from mm. uh, from Asia and, and to, to Australia. But it's not really the money that keeps us away. It is a, a psychic barrier because it's only I mean it's not that expensive if you mm-hmm. if you know travel coaching. Mm. But we need, you know, someone who loves us a little bit more than just, yeah, guys, you're great, yes. <laughs> See you when you come down here. Mm. Yeah, 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 someone that really invites us. Mm. And I think people started to, they're calling and things are happening. So, I mean, it's like, is this the third time around the world for DAD? I don't know mm. what, what happens. But, I mean, we we keep on doing it. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit, uh, to be uh, topical, uh, mm-hmm. about, about your bass player and what happened to him the other night. As follows... <laughs> we, we were playing. It was a very, as I mentioned before. It was mm. a very, very, very bad weather in Scandinavia the, the last uh, couple of months. So it was raining, really raining. Steak had on his new favorite boots, mm. uh, and I had to underline the word new. And everybody knows when you are wearing new boots, they tend to be slippery underneath. Mm. So we fell mm. and uh, landed on top of his left arm. He is a lefty, as. Uh, Diehard fans will know. So that's his plectrum hand. Mm. It's the dooga 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 hand. Mm. And um, it's pretty serious because it's, uh, I mean, five fractures. And he's got uh, eight screws and a piece of metal in his uh, in his lower arm at the moment. Mm. Uh, and it's going to stay there. The, all the metal's going to stay there. So it's going to be uh, pretty irritating going through airports from an hour <laughs> from, for him yeah. stay away from magnets <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, what how long is he out for I mean I'm sorry I should be uh, talking to this how long is he how long is he out for it's like a sportsman isn't it how, uh, how long is this injury yeah? Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it, uh, for three weeks he needs to he's in a cast mm. then the cast goes off and, and the stitches go out and then he's in some kind of uh, semi cast afterwards for th- another three weeks so at least six weeks but the funny thing, we've never tried anything like it before. We've never been, you know, one man down in that sense. Um, yeah, uh, have you ever played a show without it? I mean, there was once when we were in the very beginning, 
mm. when we were were Stig uh, against Stig um, mm. smashed his finger, and uh, Jacob played bass, mm. but and I played guitar. But that would be like uh, we have a saying in Denmark that would be to shoot in your own foot. <laughs> to let me do the lead guitar and let Jacob do the bass. <laughs> so uh, uh, what happened was that it was like a totally whoa! What are we gonna do? A traumatic experience. We were in the middle of the night. The show was cancelled. Oh, we play. Uh, we got to play 20 minutes or something, and then said, it had to say uh, to 10,000 people, hey, "Please go home." Mm-hmm. It was um, it was not a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we called a guy we know who knows a lot of musicians. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, could you at all imagine a guy, a young guy that could come and play these songs next week? We're playing Sweden Rock next week. So mm. tomorrow in Herning, we're going to cancel that and then uh, we're going to focus on Sweden Rock. Mm. And then he says, send me the set list, I'll do it tomorrow. Wow. He's a guitarist. Wow. How like, many strings on his bass? <laughs> <laughs> he's got four strings on his bass now. <laughs> the thing was that he's, he's been a fan. And yeah. he's a, a really talented music, mm. musician. He plays with uh, Glenn Hughes, mm. you know the guy that yeah, yeah, yeah. bring up. Uh, and he plays with uh, he's played with uh, Mike Tramp and uh, someone mentioned Megadeth as well. I don't know, mm. but he's but he's really used to jump in, which is maybe the hardest part of it. That's the psychological part of it mm. is you know to get on stage and the lion goes. Yeah, so yeah. it was like one one of our good friends. I mean, it was great to have one of our good old friends out there play the mm. bass. But they couldn't take it. I mean, they wouldn't be strong, mental, you know, and mm. mentally strong enough to do that. Now our opening five minutes has actually gone for ten. Uh, oh. But uh, <laughs> well, I said I'd, I warned you. Uh, you could pick any song in the world that I can find on MP3. So, but I'm sure you probably want to play a DVD, a, a DAD song. So, uh, have you got a song for us and maybe a story behind it? I mean, okay, okay, okay. Let's do this. For the last, the last real album, not you know, mm. a sample thing. From 2011, there's a song called um, Neverland. That's my favorite song. Yeah. I love that song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did a bunch of interviews. How do you, how being young and becoming old in this? This blah, is blah, the blah, next blah. segment. I was going to ask okay, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Topical. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so this one describes pretty much that. I mean, you can just keep on keeping on as mm. long as you you write, you sing up, sing what it says in your diary, in your recent diary. Mm-hmm. Don't bring out the old diaries to write new rock songs. Yeah, yeah. Use your up-to-date diary mm-hmm. and write your... So that's... Okay. Here, here yeah. it is.
my name is Jesper. I'm from DAD. I am besides the mascot. We are naked, <laughs> and this is White Lion Fever. Okay, welcome back uh, to the program, and we're back at Sweden Rock, and I've got Crash here from Heat. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, um, I thought we might talk to the listeners, try and paint a picture about this festival. I'd imagine you, from being from here, you've been here a few times. It's a pretty amazing festival, isn't it? it yeah, it, it's great. It's Sweden's largest rock festival, mm-hmm. and uh, this year we even have fine weather. So yeah, the sun yeah. is shining, and the mood is good, and... All is fine. Everyone is extremely friendly. Like, it's incredible, like, being a foreigner. Like, people just strike up conversations, which you wouldn't experience in England or America, you know? <laughs> uh, well, if, I think uh, people in uh, America and England mm-hmm. are nice, too. But <laughs> I think uh, Swedish rocker, Swedish rockers are, are very... Friendly, yeah, 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 with a common interest, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm, um, I'm sure everyone. Um, this is a question that everyone probably asks you when you do interviews with foreigners. Why, why do you think melodic rock is so popular in this part of the world? Have you got a theory? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think it has to do uh, with. Uh, Oh, I have so many answers for, for, That's that, great. for that question. We can talk about it for the whole podcast if you like, but let's <laughs> let's start somewhere, you know. Well, I, I think that in Sweden we have an open-mindedness for music. Mm-hmm. We like good music. We like genuine good music, mm-hmm. good melodies in any genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's important if you want to write good rock music. Mm. Uh, you got to have an open-mindedness mm-hmm. and just get influences from here and there and then you... Yeah, yeah. You guys are quite young compared to some of the bands on the bill here, so um, I suppose that's also interesting, isn't it? Because other other people your age are probably not playing this sort of music, at least elsewhere in the world, are they? So, you know, what 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 drew you to to, to this sort of music? Um, I think it, it was a natural timing because mm-hmm. melodic rock kind of died off in the late nineties mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. uh, and then. That's when we became teenagers. Mm-hmm. When it was all gone, we were like, it felt like opening an old vault or something. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah, just yeah. discovering Whitesnake and Bon Jovi and all that stuff, and it blew us away. So we went all in. We had the, the tights and leather jackets <laughs> on stage and big hairs and everything. We played like pure melodic 80s AWAR rock mm-hmm. from the beginning, but mm-hmm. now. I think the music more comes from ourselves mm-hmm. nowadays, uh, the latest two albums, for example, mm-hmm. uh, than from from something of the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. I did warn you that every five minutes we'd play a song. Um, have you got a song for the listeners? Sure. Let's uh, let's uh, kick start with uh, Inferno from the latest album, Tearing Down the Walls. Awesome.
Oh. I got a white line fever Going around and land down under Going to turn around the corner Way down yonder <laughs> And I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever and You get a chance, come and check us out live We're going to rock your socks off and whatever Rock like fuck, that's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on